morning everyone I am grateful to see you here grateful to see everyone tuning in on on Facebook and YouTube today thank you for joining us let's stand together and let's worship our awesome God together his love never fails
Lucado, and um, he has said, uh, this is a quote from one of his books, he said, worship is a voluntary act of gratitude offered by the saved to the Savior, by the healed to the healer, by the delivered to the deliverer. And church, one of the biggest reasons that we are gathered here today, honestly, is to say thank you. Thank you to the one who saves who heals and delivers. And I just want to invite you right now to think of one thing that you're grateful for to help fuel your worship this morning. Uh, For me, uh, it was Austin who was just standing there and he had us on a shirt that says, I love my wife. (laughs) I love that. I love that. I got to get me one of those. (laughs) I love it. So, um, yes, Whatever that is, whatever you're you're grateful for, it could be more than one thing, of course, but just allow that to fuel your worship because the scripture says, come into his house with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. So... All of you is more than enough
can have a seat, folks. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Well, this morning, um, I get the, pr- the privilege of leading us in revival prayer. And that is one of our values here at Solana Valley Church. It's what we believe in, and it's what we do on an ongoing basis. We devote ourselves to united prayer for the advancement of the gospel in our lives, in our church, in our community, and in our world. I truly believe that prayer is the catalyst to seeing God's kingdom advance. It starts with inviting people to come, sharing the gospel, and covering it all in prayer. I have been studying the book of Habakkuk, and it's, it's a prayer of a prophet distraught over the sins of God's people and the reflection on God's faithfulness. Habakkuk starts with a lament, and it ends with a proclamation of God's faithfulness. This is what he says. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, and our time make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And that's what we're going to be praying today. The book of Habakkuk contains the timeless question of the sovereignty and the goodness of God in a world where devastation, corruption, and suffering seem to abound. It's a book that delves into the prayer life of a prophet. We see Habakkuk lament. He questions God. And then we see the answer of the Lord and the insurance of God's faithfulness. You see, Habakkuk, the time of Habakkuk when it takes place is when um, Israel and soon-to-be Judah were taken into captivity because of their sin. Habakkuk is asking God, why? Why? How long? Why? How long? He would allow Judah to be overtaken by the wicked Babylonians. There had been a, a time just before that under King Josiah, which was a good king, where the people had experienced a mini-revival. But the people began slipping away farther and farther from the Lord. The book of Habakkuk starts with prayer and pleading. Habakkuk is in anguish over the sin that is around him and over what seems to be the silence from the Lord. His prayer begins with, like I said, why? Why, God? How long? How long is this going to go on? He's grieved. His heart is breaking because of the sin in the world around him and because the Lord seems so far away. His prayers seem unanswered, yet he still prayed. He prayed because God does answer prayers. And though he didn't know how or when the answer would come, he knew the scriptures and he knew God was faithful. So he prays, he pleads, and he waits. And that is what we do. I think we can all relate a little bit to Habakkuk. Whether it's personal or whether it's global, we know that feeling. Grief and distraught over what we see and feel in our world. And that is why we come to the Father. We come to be filled regardless of our circumstances and we pray. And when we are thinking of our world, we know that what our world needs is spiritual revival for a fresh infusion of divine life into the church for an awakening in lives of God's people and an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was for this that Habakkuk prayed, and it's for this that we pray. So right now, I'd like you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. 
Lord, we humble ourselves before you this morning. Forgive us for becoming careless in our devotion to you. Forgive us and our nation for the violence and the injustice and the destruction and the selfishness and the turning away from you. And forgive us for putting emphasis on outward things, on things that we may embrace apart from you. These things do not produce revival. Only you can do that. So we come to you. We pray for the local church. We pray for Solano Valley Church. We pray for the testimony of the Christian church in the world. And in our day, we pray that it is effective. And our sole occupation is to love you and to love others. We pray for favor and effectiveness in our community, turning lives around and turning into you. We ask you because we know that revival comes from heaven. It's not something that we can do apart from you. It is not our doing, but it's yours alone. So, Lord, we have heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day and in our time. Make them known in wrath. Remember mercy. And, Lord, let revival come. Let the people sing the glory of your name all over this place. And this is what we pray for the whole world today. In Jesus' name, amen. Carolyn, thank you so very much. And thank you, everyone, for praying along with her. Before we continue our worship with music, I want to invite you to take a few moments to greet the folks around you and uh, share with them that one thing that you are grateful for this morning that is fueling your worship. Go ahead and do that, and uh, we'll continue with our worship in just a moment.
let's make our way back to our seats. So wonderful to see all of you connecting. A song inviting you to come to Jesus with whatever's weighing you down, with whatever is making you anxious, with whatever is worrying you. Come to Him. Come to the water.
church. Father, we sing for your glory, for your honor today. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our praise. We love you. Let me try that again. All right. Dan was looking at me. How come there's no sound coming from the mic? I didn't turn it on, Dan. Sorry. You didn't want to hear me singing. You really didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Rudy. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. All right, so uh, I do love our worship band. I really do. Hey, uh, very quickly, I'm going to do I'm going to do a little commercial. Can I do a commercial? All right. So let me just kind of talk to you a little bit about this is me. All right. I've been studying the Bible. I don't know. I've been studying the Bible since I was 16. So I've been studying the Bible for I'm 62 now. So however long that is, I've been studying the Bible for a while, and uh, I've read through the Bible. I honestly don't know how many times I've read through the Bible. Uh, I've read through the New Testament, I don't know, probably, I'm just going to conservatively say maybe 40 times. Uh, I've read through the Old Testament probably at least 20 times, maybe more. Uh, And I say that conservatively because I try to read through the entire Bible every year, but I don't always make it every single year. So, So sometimes I'll run over into the next year a little bit. And then sometimes I'll actually read more. So, uh, so it kind of, I think it kind of equals itself out, but I, I, one book of the Bible that I have read, I don't know, I'm not going to say I've read it the most times, uh, but it's the book that we're going to be looking at today and over the next few weeks. It's the book of James. And I would say conservatively, I probably read through it maybe 150 times, uh, maybe more. Uh, and, uh, and what I am is I am a student of the Bible. Okay. I'm not a student of books, although I do read books. So when I'm working through, uh, like, a book, uh, like the book of James, I am reading the book of James. I am reading it repeatedly, and then I am really focusing in on what we're going to be looking at on any given week. And then after I've really spent time studying the book, then what I do is I, I like to consult with other people, people who are a little smarter than I am, people who have PhDs after their names, people who are true scholars, and I will look and I will read and I will consider what they have to say. So, like, for example, if I'm working through the book of James, I may read three or four or more commentaries as I'm working my way through it. Because I want to look and see what are they seeing things? Are they seeing things the same way I am? If we are going different directions, why are they going the direction they're in? Why am I going the direction I'm in? If I am out of step with four, three, four, five different commentaries, then I think, okay, good chance, good chance, especially if they're all in alignment, good chance I need to pay closer attention to the scriptures and make sure I'm really understanding it correctly. Now, the reason I bring that up is this. I am a student of the Bible, but I'm also a student of method. How do we study the Bible? So sometimes people say that everybody has their own interpretation of the Bible, and I would say that's entirely wrong, okay? There is one interpretation of the book of James. It's James' interpretation. He was the one who wrote it. When he wrote it, he had an intended meaning. I don't get to just make it mean anything I want it to mean. However, we don't all have our own interpretation. There are many, many applications, and there are sometimes diverse interpretations 
that are not many but few, okay? So there may be three or four different ways to understand a text of Scripture, and all of them could be valid. And the way we discern what the Bible says is by being a diligent student of the Word and then being a diligent student of method. So why am I bringing this up? One of the books that I am currently reading through, I have a buddy of mine, his name is James Ibanez. Uh, He is a young man who asked me a while back if I would mentor him. And so we've been reading through a series of books together. And one of the things that I am trying to help him learn how to do, one of the books we're, we're, we're working on right now is called The New Joy of Discovery in Bible Study. It's like really small, okay? So even if you don't like reading, you can read this one, all right? We're, we're looking at, you know, it's 90 pages, all right? If anybody would like to learn how to study the Bible better, this is a great little booklet. If any of you, like James, would say, hey, I would like to sit down and get someone to help me learn how to study the Bible for myself, I would love to meet with you, okay? I'm not just available for James. I will be available for you as well, all right? So we might have to work on finding a time. But I believe in being a student of the Scriptures, and I believe in being a student of method. I think both those things are important. Um, Today, we're kicking off a brand new series called A Faith That Works, and it's based upon the book of James. And the reason uh, I'm calling it A Faith That Works is sometimes, sometimes, In our lives, what we say we believe and how we live, there can be a measure of separation. We're not not always entirely consistent in how we live with what we say we believe. But what we want to do is we want to have integrity, meaning that there's consistency between what we say we believe and how we actually live. And this is a major theme in the book of James. So we're going to be talking about a faith. Uh, a faith that works. Uh, I will tell you, I will tell you uh, that today we get to talk about, I'm just going to tell you right up front, uh, that this is probably one of my larger flaws as a pa- or not as a pastor, but as a Christian, a follower of Jesus. Uh, as a follower of Jesus, this is something that I need to work on perhaps I'm not going to say more than anything else. My wife would say I need to work on gentleness. Matt would say I need to work on gentleness, and I know that's true. But one of the things that I need to work on is the very thing we're going to be looking at and talking about today. So what I'm going to do for us, I'm going to encourage you, uh, if you brought your Bible, whether it's on your smartphone or whether you brought one of these, I don't know, uh, uh, the Bible this way, okay, I want to encourage you to open your Bible or to turn on your Bible uh, to James chapter 1. And the reason I want to encourage you to do that is because we're going to be referring to the text repeatedly, okay? And it's not always going to be on the screen. But I want you to see how the points of what we talk about actually flow from the text of Scripture. Uh, So James chapter 1, verses 1 through 12 and uh, and for us as Christians, just quickly, really quickly, uh, what you know for us, what it means to be a church. A church is not a building. A church is not a service time. A church is who we are when we follow Jesus together. And what it means to be Christian as Christians, it, you know, there I think there are different varieties, different ways, variations of how we may worship. But there are some things that are unchanging for all Christians everywhere. 
And I would say those things are this. Uh, number one is our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Who was, who was and this is important later in, in what we talk about today, who was um, conceived by the Holy Spirit, but born of a virgin. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, by God, making him fully God, but born of a virgin, making him fully man. Okay? That, that our master is the Lord Jesus Christ, who, uh, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, then died on a cross as a sacrifice. Died on a cross carrying my sin to the cross. And the sins of people like me, people who are less than perfect. He spent three days in the grave. He was raised again on the third day. And then he appeared to his disciples over a time frame of 40 days with many convincing proofs. And then he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. So our master is the Lord Jesus Christ. Our message is the gospel. Our message is the gospel. And by the gospel, what I mean is the gospel literally means good news or good story. And, and the Bible is a fantastic story. It's a fantastic story of how God made all things good, but you and I know that not all things are good in our world. But it tells us how God made all things good, but how sin entered God's good creation. And that how God is redeeming his creation by sending his son Jesus to die for us. And that one day, that, that God is going to restore his good creation again. So in Genesis 1 and 2, all is good. By the way, the last two chapters of the, the Bible, Revelation 21 22, all things are good again. And between Genesis 3 all the way up to uh, Revelation 20, the Bible is telling us about how God is redeeming uh, his creation. And it's really many stories, but it's many stories that make one huge story. And the gospel is this, is that Christ has died on the cross for our sins, risen again on the third day, so that all who put their hope in him can have eternal life and become more like Jesus. So our master is the Lord Jesus Christ. Our uh, message is the gospel. Our mission is to make disciples, not churchgoers, disciples. A person can be a churchgoer and not be a disciple. But what Jesus sent us to do is he sent us to invite people to actually follow Jesus and become more like him in how they think, their affections, their attitudes, their character, how they live their lives. And so we, we, we have our master, we have our message, we have our mission, and then we have our manual, the Bible. That it is, for us, the first and final word on all matters of life and faith. And James is one of 66 books that are written for us. Uh, in, you know who it was written by? James. That's right. Man, you guys get an A. Okay? Go home. Tell your mom. I got an A today in church. All right? Uh, I'm going to read for us James chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. But today what we're going to do is we're only going to look really at the first 12 verses. But I think we need to read it all together. And I'll make that more clear hopefully in a moment. Okay? But open your Bible. If you have it with you, turn it on, uh, and, and let's look at this together. I will have it up on the screen. James chapter 1, this is the NIV version, translation of the Bible, says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Okay? You with me so far? It's written by James. Servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes, the twelve tribes of Israel. To the twelve tribes scattered. You know the word diaspora? Okay? Anybody hear that word? Diaspora, diaspora, whatever. Uh, uh, That's the word here. Scattered. Okay? Uh, To the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Uh, A moment ago, Carolyn was talking about Habakkuk. She's talking about how the exile Babylon, how Israel was carried away to Babylon. From there, scattered throughout much of the ancient world. At the time of Jesus, many people had returned to Israel, but there were actually more Jews living outside of Israel at that time than living in Israel. So, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. All right. Verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Are you kidding me? I mean, just the way that starts, it just sounds insane, doesn't it? Consider it pure joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. We'll talk about this. We'll get this. We'll, we'll, we'll work through this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Believers in humble circumstances, literally those who are poor. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation. So they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of glory that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted. Oh, okay, real quickly here. When tempted. You see that word tempted? All right, all right. You know what that word means? Anybody? Well, it means tempted, okay? Uh, real quick, okay, this word tempt uh, is the same word as trial. Okay, the Greek word here, okay, I, I, I'm going to play this for you. Ready? Perasmos. Did you get that? Perasmos, okay? Y'all wanted to know how I knew Greek. I did make good grades in Greek when I was in seminary, and now I need help. Um, that was a long time ago. Uh, perasmos. Perasmos is a word that has more meaning or excuse me, more than one meaning. It's kind of like, you know, the word hand. And you're like, the word hand doesn't have more than one meaning. It, it means hand, right? Isn't that what the word hand means, hand? Unless you're playing poker. Okay, then it means hand. Or if you work for a farm in Arkansas, and you're an employer of the farm, you're a hand. Okay? When you're hearing the word hand, 
in a conversation, you don't stop and say, now which hand does he mean? You just kind of naturally flow with the conversation. If I'm talking about my poker hand, you immediately know what I'm talking about. If, if, if I say, can I lend you a hand? You don't think, well, he's literally wanting to lend me this appendage at the end of his arm. You immediately know what I mean by saying, lend me a hand. If I, when I went to Joy's dad, may I have your daughter's hand in marriage? He didn't say, wow, gee, Gary, that sounds really strange. Why did you ask for my daughter's hand in marriage? Why wouldn't you want the rest of her as well? Okay? Okay, I'm, I'm being... See, see, the thing is, is that if you were a Greek speaker reading this for the very first time, you weren't struggling with knowing when he was talking about trial and when he was talking about temptation. Everything, everything makes sense in its context, Okay? So, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he, God, tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Verse 16, don't be deceived. My dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Now, as I read this, some of this may feel a little bit disjointed for you. Like it may feel like, that James is shifting from topic to topic. And the reason that it reads that way is because the book of James is an example of New Testament wisdom literature. Okay? It's kind of like the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. That's Hebrew uh, wisdom literature. Okay? But this is New Testament wisdom literature. And oftentimes, in, like in the Proverbs, you have all these little pithy statements. And in James, the book of James, you will see him going from theme to theme, then coming back to a theme, and then going to another theme. And so sometimes when you read it, it can be a little bit difficult if you're not experienced in knowing how to read the book of James. And the way you get experienced is by reading it and reading it and reading it and reading it. And then it's like, oh, now I get it. Now I see how the book is flowing, okay? So uh, James is one of those books that for me uh, is just like, um, I don't know. It's like I, I, I need this book. I need this book. I, I, you see, for me, when I encounter trials of various kinds, my immediate reaction usually isn't to consider it pure joy. It's, it's not, okay? It's, and when I encounter trials and, you know, difficulties and, pain or difficulty, my first, you know, my, I, I don't say, hey, you know, I don't call you up and say, hey, come over to my house. We're going to have a party tonight. We're going to celebrate that I'm experiencing a trial. I don't typically respond that way. Okay, maybe some of you do, but I don't. I'm one of those people who's more likely when I'm going through a trial to, I don't know, maybe complain, maybe gripe, maybe murmur. I mean, that's just kind of me. I'm just being really, really honest with you. I'm not like a perfect Christian. I'm certainly not a perfect pastor, all right? Uh, 
And, and so, you know, I am a person very, very much in process. So real quick, what we're going to do is we're going to launch into this. But let me just kind of clarify for you real quick. Uh, who was James? Who was James? Okay. Uh, this is something that I, I think is relevant. I think it's interesting. Since we're reading the book of James, I think we should probably know something about who he is and who he's writing to. Because knowing who the person is and who he's writing to is part of how we rightly interpret Scripture. If we don't know who's writing and who he's writing to, we're much more likely to miss sometimes the very point of the Scripture we're reading. So a little bit about James. James was the brother of Jesus, okay? He was the brother of Jesus. Now, you say, well, why do we know that James is the brother of Jesus? Well, the Bible tells us in the Gospels Jesus had four brothers, all right? Their names were James, Simon, doggone it, Judas, not Judas Iscariot. What was the other one's name? I can't remember. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, so James was the brother of Jesus. More, more accurately, he would be the half-brother because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. James, Simon, uh, Judas, and the other guy, whatever his name was. Uh, what's his name? No. Uh, but whatever his name was, they, they were half-brothers because they had the same mom, different dad. Uh, you know, Jesus had God as his father. Uh, the other guys had Joseph. All right, so, so he was the brother of Jesus. And, and understand, when you read through the New Testament, there are a number of people named James. So how do we know James is James, the brother of Jesus? Well, uh, 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 very, very quickly, just understand this. There are only two men by the name of James who factor uh, in a really major way in the New Testament. One of those is James, the son of Zebedee who was one of the early followers of Jesus. There's another James who's an early follower of Jesus, James, the son of Alphaeus. But we read very little about him. But the other James is James, the brother of Jesus, okay? And the reason, and and most people believe it was either James, son of Zebedee, or James, the brother of Jesus. The reason that most people tend to believe is James, the brother of Jesus, is because James, uh, the son of Zebedee, dies in Acts chapter 11, or Acts chapter 12. I can't remember. Uh, somewhere in there, okay? Uh, and which would have been very, very early. Uh, this is most, most scholars believe James, the brother of Jesus. So a little bit to know about James is James was the oldest of the four brothers of Jesus. Uh, he was a highly respected leader in the early church. We see this in Acts chapter 15 when there was a debate um, uh, about whether or not it was necessary for Gentile followers of Jesus to be circumcised. And James and Peter were the two uh, apostles at that time who spoke to the matter and, uh, and gave direction. Uh, Paul writes quite a bit about James. Uh, in Galatians 1.19, Paul calls James an apostle. Uh, in uh, Galatians 2.9, Paul refers to, to James uh, along with Peter and John as the pillars of the church, Okay. So they were, uh, he was a highly respected leader in the church in Jerusalem. Uh, why doesn't James factor uh, more importantly in the Gospels? Because it's like, you know, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you're kind of like, well, how come the Gospel writers don't write more about James? Uh, well, um, it's kind of like this, all right? If you have a half-brother and your half-brother believes he's the Son of God and the Messiah, do you believe your half-brother? I mean, if my half-brother believes, I don't have one, but if I had one, if he believed he was deity, I'd, I'd say, well, I believe you need professional help, okay? 
I know a really good therapist, a really, really good psychiatrist who can help you with this, all right? So come with us. And at one point in the Gospels, we read about how James and his brothers and his sisters all came to Jesus because he was speaking to all these people, and all these people were following him, and they're kind of like, brother, you need to come home. You need to come home. See, see, James was not a believer in the Gospels, so he doesn't factor as importantly in the Gospels. So, uh, when did James become a believer in Jesus? First Corinthians chapter 15, uh, Paul, excuse me, yeah, Paul is writing about uh, the different resurrection appearances of Jesus. And one of the resurrection accounts uh, in, in uh, 15.7, uh, Paul tells us how Jesus revealed himself to James. Uh, in one of his post-resurrection appearances. So one of the things that happens if you do have a brother, half-brother who believes he's God and then he dies and he comes back to you, I don't know. If I saw someone who was risen from the dead, I'd, I'd, I'd probably believe, you know. Um, <laughs> this is kind of unusual. He died and he's uh, risen from the dead. So so this is what uh, a little bit about James. The 12 tribes... Um, were, as I said to you a moment ago, back in the time of the original exile, the original scattering of Israel, uh, there were millions of Jews who were scattered throughout the ancient world. Okay? And, uh, but more in particular, the 12 tribes scattered, the original, um, in, 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 in Acts chapter 11, so who are these Jews scattered throughout ancient Israel? They were early followers of Jesus, early followers of Jesus, and, um, and most likely the, the Jews that, 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 that James is speaking of here, in Acts chapter 11, we read this. Now, those who have been scattered by the persecution, by the way, scattered, diaspora, okay, that word again, same word that we have in James. Now, those who were scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began speak, to speak to, to Greeks also, telling them the good news, the gospel, about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So these Jewish Christians that James was writing to, who had been scattered, many of these Jews were probably a part of the church in Jerusalem when James was leading the church, okay? So just a real quick understanding. Who's writing here what, what, um, um, you know, what, what he's writing about? James, um, man, I'm getting in too much detail. I apologize. I apologize. This is, I nerd out. I understand this about myself. Um, James instructs us in how to cope with trials, uh, from without, temptations from within. He speaks to us about the importance of not only hearing God's word, but living God's word. He addresses matters of prejudice and favoritism in the church. Uh, and he also ama- addresses matters concerning wealth and poverty, uh, major issues in our world. He talks about the need for consistency between what we believe and how we live. He talks about taming the tongue. Taming the tongue. We use the tongue like we did earlier, to bless and worship God. But with the same tongue, we can sometimes say things that are very unkind, critical, 
critical, critical belittling of other people. Okay? Uh, it shouldn't be that way. He talks to us about, about taming the tongue. He talks to us. He talks, in, in fact, uh, well, I'm not going to get into that. I'm going to get lost. Um, he talks to us about worldly wisdom, wisdom from God. He talks to us about uh, being fully submitted to God, being patient in suffering, and praying with faith. So those are some of the things that God talks to us about. Very quickly, what I want to try to do, and I'll try to make this fast, all right? Uh, I'm not going to talk too much about one portion of the text. Uh, I don't know. Let, let me just do my best here, okay? Number one, three things I want you to see in this text. Three things I want you to see in this text. And if you have your Bible with you, this is not going to be on the screen, so you have to have your Bible, okay? Uh, either on your smartphone or in your hand. But but the the first point, the first thing I want you to see is that... Uh, that facing trials with pure joy turbocharges our growth. Okay, are you with me? Okay, that, 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 that facing trials with pure joy turbocharges our growth. Where do I see that? Consider it pure joy. Pure. Pure. Meaning that, that it has no contamination in it. Pure, like gold. Gold heated in a crucible. Gold heated in a crucible where the slag makes its way to the top, gets skimmed off all the impurities that's in the gold, and what's left behind is pure gold. And what James says is consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing, heating up of your faith, like with a fire in a crucible, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. You see what happens when we go through times of trials, of testing. And when we go through it with this attitude of pure joy, our faith is purified. It's like it melts away the impurities the impurities, the things in our life that look nothing like Jesus. And melts those things away so that what's left afterwards looks more like Jesus. Are you with me? See, see that, that it's not just trials. It's not just trials that purifies our faith. It's considering our trials pure joy that purifies our faith. See, if, if I have the wrong attitude, then I just have the same impurities in my faith all over again. But if I have the right attitude when I'm going through trials, God purifies my faith. And so what I want you to see is that, that, that facing trials with pure joy actually supercharges, turbocharges our growth so that we begin to look more like Jesus. Do you see that in the text of Scripture? That's what I want you to see. That, that um, Think of it this way. Okay, facing trials with pure joy. Okay, recently, uh, all of my kids are endurance athletes. I, I like to bike ride. I'm, you know, I'm a wannabe endurance athlete. Yesterday, I rode over to Martinez and back, a little over 50 miles, huge headwinds, huge headwinds, huge crosswinds. Loved it. 
I love testing myself. I really do. I love testing myself. I love, because when I test myself, the more I test myself, the, the last Sunday, or last Saturday, this Saturday, two longest rides I've had since my crash back in October, but I love testing myself because when I test myself, I get stronger on a bike, okay? When I test myself, when I push myself, by the way, no, not that's getting us off track. Anyway, the, my daughter, Cass, she ran a marathon, I think, it was it two weeks ago or three weeks ago? Week ago, Friday. Okay, so when Cass was preparing for her marathon, she would go out on shorter runs, and then she would go out on longer runs, and then shorter runs, and then longer than longer runs, and shorter runs, and then longer than longer runs. And eventually... She ran a marathon, an unsupported marathon. She carried all her own water, carried all her own food, ran an unsupported marathon. And that was the first time she had ever run a marathon unsupported. She had done another one that was supported, but she did that. Now, when you're preparing for a marathon, if every time you go out and you run, you're like, I can't do it. This is so painful. I hate this. You're never going to do it. But if you go out there and you're running and you're like, this is joy because what this is doing is this is testing me in a way that it makes me stronger. See, attitude makes all the difference in the world. It makes all the difference in the world for you as a follower of Jesus. If you're going through trials and your attitude is poor, 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 nothing good happens. But if you go through trials and difficulties and your attitude is pure joy, pure joy, pure joy, it purifies your faith. Okay? Uh, second thing I want you to see in the text is this, is that we need God's wisdom to face trials with pure joy. Uh, chapter 5, um, excuse me, verse 5, it says this, If any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now, some people believe this is a completely new subject introduced by, by James. He's gone from talking about encountering trials as pure joy, and now he's talking about wisdom. The only problem with that is in verse 4 and verse 5, we see this word used twice. It's it's It's... What, what, what James is doing is he's connecting what, what follows in verse 5 with what happened in verse 4. Because in verse 4, we're told that if we're encountering trials with pure joy, if we are allowing our faith to be tested uh, and produce perseverance, and we're letting perseverance have its, uh, finish its work in us so that we're mature and complete, not lacking anything... See, he's talking about what he wants us to have is he wants us to have this kind of maturity where we're lacking nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, see, sometimes the, the real problem that we face in going through tribulations is we lack wisdom. What wisdom does for us is it helps us to leverage the trials that we're going through so that God produces in us what he wants to produce in us. See, if you lack wisdom in the trials you're going through, if you're struggling with how to consider it pure joy, this is where you ask God for wisdom. 
This is not wisdom to figure out how to make your trials go away, but wisdom to know how to follow Jesus through the trials. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously. God is not stingy. God wants you, me. He wants us to ask. He's like, man, I'm so glad you asked. Here, here's all the wisdom you need. Okay? Did you see what I did there? Here's all the wisdom that you need. Here is all the wisdom that you need. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously. God has given us all the wisdom we need to guide us in all matters of life and faith, including how to face our trials with pure joy. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without uh, finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must, you must believe and not doubt, because the, the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Very, very quickly here. Very quick, quickly. Uh, what we're talking about here is we should ask and not doubt. Okay? We should ask for wisdom and not doubt. And... and, and the word for doubt here, it's, it's uh, diakrino, you know, it's a Greek word. And uh, the reason that doubt, uh, diakrino, is significant and important is we're not talking about intellectual doubt. Okay, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about the man. I don't know if y'all remember the story in the Gospels where a man brought his child to Jesus and asked Jesus to heal his child. He says, if you are able, would you heal my child? And Jesus said, all things are possible for those who believe. And the man said, I believe, help my unbelief. There is doubt that is intellectual doubt. The word here, diakreno, though, is the kind of, it's like a a wavering. It is like, well, uh, the best example I can think of, I think of from... um, I think up from the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, what's happening here? There's this prophet, his name is Elijah. Uh, It was during the the reign of a king named Ahab who was extremely evil, married to a woman named Jezebel, extremely evil. Jezebel had in her employment 450 prophets of Baal, one of the Canaanite gods, and the Asherah. Okay? Okay? And what Elijah was the lone prophet. Actually, there were some more, but they were kind of hidden away. He was the prophet of the Lord God of Israel. And, and, and what, uh, what happens is, is there's been a time of drought. Elijah comes to Ahab, and uh, he says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go to Mount Carmel. Okay? Now, y'all know what, why Mount Carmel is important and significant. Mount Carmel is important and significant because... Uh, Mount Carmel is Levi Stadium for the 49ers. It's where they play all their home games. It is the uh, Chase Center where the Warriors play all their home games. It is, it is Oracle uh, Park where the Giants play their home games. Mount Carmel was the holiest place of worship for the people who worship Baal. Kind of like uh, Jerusalem was the place of the temple. 
Mount Carmel was for the worship of Baal. Uh, and what, what, what Elijah says is, we're going to go to Mount Carmel. We're going to play this game on your home field. You're going to have your 950 priests. 950 priests, and I'm going to be there as the lone representative of, of the Lord God of Israel. And you're going to build an altar, and you're going to put a sacrifice on it, and your 950 priests are going to pray to the God of Baal to send fire from heaven to consume that sacrifice. And then me, the one and only prophet of the Lord, am going to build another altar right here. And I'm going to put a sacrifice on it. And I'm going to pray, uh, I'm going to pray to the Lord to send fire from heaven. And all the people, they're like, oh, this is a great idea. We'll find out who the one and true God is, okay? The prophets of Baal, they go there. They are praying, 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 praying. You know, send down fire, send down fire, send down fire. And their God doesn't hear them. They begin cutting themselves to get their God's attention. Nothing happens. Oh. Quick aside. Elijah says to the people, he says this, How long will you waver between two opinions? It's not intellectual doubt. It is spiritual doubt. It is the doubt of a wayward, evil heart. How long will you waver between two opinions? If Baal is God, worship him. But if the Lord is God, worship him. Elijah, all by himself, he gets to 950, prays for the Lord to send fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. You know what happens? Fire comes down, consumes the sacrifice, the stones and everything else. The point is that there are some people who doubt, and the doubt is not like a father desperate to see his child healed and fearful for his child. It is the doubt of a person who has a wayward heart that we're talking about here. When you pray for wisdom, you need to pray believing, trusting. Uh, Third point, I'm going to skip over verses 9 to 11 just because I've gone really long and I apologize. Uh, Third point I want you to see in the text is this. Those who persevere under trial are supremely happy and will receive an eternal reward. Now, I know this sounds weird. Supremely happy. Open your Bible. Read verse 12. Look at your Bible. Read verse 12. What does it say? Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Blessed. Blessed. Makarios. It was one of the favorite words of Jesus. It is a word used repeatedly in the Greek version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. The word blessed was a Greek word, uh, in, in, and we translate it as blessed rather than happy. Some people say it's happy. It's really not happy. It's, it's like being supremely happy. See, for a Greek living in the ancient world at that time, if you use the word makarios, you never use makarios of a human being. Humans are happy, but the gods are makarios. They are supremely happy. It's a kind of happiness that 
that far exceeds anything that we consider humanly possible. And what James says is, blessed is the one, supremely happy is the one who perseveres under trial. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Very, very quickly, crown of life. Um, Let me just say a couple comments about this. Uh, The crown of life is not the gift of eternal life. The gift of eternal life is given to all true believers in Jesus. Whenever a person puts their faith in Jesus, God gives them eternal life. So some people confuse the crown of life with eternal life. In the New Testament, this word stephanos, crown, is used repeatedly. It's used, uh, it's kind of used usually of like this laurel wreath that would be given to an athlete in an athletic contest who wins. They receive this little crown. Throughout the New Testament, we see a number of references to crowns. So, for example, in 1 Thessalonians 2.19, 2, uh, Paul says figuratively of the Thessalonians that he has labored for in love. He refers to them as being his crown in which uh, uh, he and those who labored with him have gloried and rejoiced in them. So they are his crown. Okay? Uh, we see another reference to uh, a crown in 2 Timothy 4.8. Paul speaks of the crown of righteousness that the Lord gives to all who have longed for, the, for Christ appearing or his coming again. And then Peter speaks of the crown of glory that will never fade away. This is a reward that is given to elders who lead the church well. By the way, there is no... Uh, 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 the, the, these crowns are like... I don't know, it's, it's like... Um, it, it's, it's more than simply eternal life. It is the crown of life. It is a reward that's given to people of all true followers of Jesus who persevere through trial and are pers- uh, purified through it. Basically, these crowns, these are awards, rewards that are given to all faithful believers who truly follow Jesus. Um, In James chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, uh, what we see is that James writes to, to people then, but he also writes for us now about how we are supposed to face trials from without. And next week, we'll talk about how we're supposed to deal with temptations from within. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead, come on back up, and I'm going to pray for us and turn it over to them. God, you are good. You are faithful. Uh, Lord, when we go through trials, tribulations, it's not like you're up in heaven uh, just wanting to make life suck for us. Uh, But you are a God who is good. You are a God who is faithful. You are a God who's wanting to purify us, refine us, so that our faith is pure gold. Lord, what we want to do is we want to learn how to consider pure joy when we encounter trials of various kinds. We want to learn how to submit surrender to your work in us um, so that, 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 that perseverance has its perfect effect in our lives, so that we are complete 
uh, in Jesus so that, that it supercharges our growth in Jesus. Lord, we want to learn how to um, encounter trials and walk through trials with wisdom. And finally, Lord, we want to experience the blessedness of persevering uh, through trial. So, God, my prayer is you would just teach us how to do that. You teach us how to do that. Lord, my prayer today is I know that there are people in this church who right now, they are going through incredibly painful circumstances. Some of the people in our church, God, are just encountering the greatest pain of their lives, the loss of a loved one. Lord, and and not just that, there are other issues I'm I'm aware of too. There There is pain in the lives of your people. God, when we're going through this kind of pain, to consider pure joy just feels absolutely insane. Well, I, I don't want to preach your word in a way that is trite. I want to preach your word in a way that gives hope. Right now, we've got people who are hurting. And my prayer is that you would meet them in their pain. I pray that they would give themselves opportunity to be uh, permission to be in process, uh, to grieve their pain, but to grieve their pain in a way that's healthy and holy. And as they do this, to learn how in trial to trust that you really are there and that you really are working. And I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Gary, so much. I've so been looking forward to this series on the book of James. And I think uh, as you, uh, as we heard today, it is so applicable to our lives and to, um, to what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to just to persevere. So I hope that... Uh, You'll just keep coming back week after week as we continue to dive into this into this amazing book and figure out more and more about the hope that we can have in Christ. And before we do our uh, closing song, we're going to uh, take a moment to worship God with our giving. And uh, <clears throat> we believe, you know, we say giving is an act of worship because it really honors and glorifies God. It gives us a chance to support the church's mission in making disciples and we get to participate in seeing people's lives changed uh, as those disciples become more and more like Jesus. And that really is a privilege. So thank you so much for your kindness and for your generosity. There are five different ways that you can give. First of all, on our website at solanavalley.org forward slash giving. You can tap the Give button on the SBC app. If you don't have our app yet, you can find it in Google Play or the App Store just by typing in our name, Solana Valley Church. 
You can send a check to 1307 Oliver Road, Fairfield, 94534 for everyone watching from home. You can text the word GIVE to 707-883-3019. And uh, right behind our sound booth back there, the final way, is a, a, a silver mail slot in the wall that you can, uh, uh, if you're like me and you're of a certain generation and you still write checks sometimes, <laughs> you can stick them back there as well. And um, let's stand together. I've got a couple of quick announcements here, uh, things that we've been talking about. Just a reminder that Gary and I are at Journey Coffee uh, every Wednesday at 4 p.m. for Coffee with a Pastor. We'd be honored to meet with you if you'd like to talk about, um, well, anything and everything under the sun. If you have uh, something you want to talk about regarding the church or uh, a ministry idea you might have or just just shooting the breeze. It's always a, a fun time. It's always a great atmosphere and a great staff there as well, and it's just a great um, opportunity to connect. So we invite you to that. And then finally, coming up in a couple weeks, our next picnic in the park at Laurel Creek Park on Friday, August 19th, starting at 530. Uh, This will be a great time for us to just connect and and hang out and share a meal together, throw the frisbee around, play some basketball, whatever you do. that park is right by our house. There's some great uh, playground equipment for the kids as well. So we'd love to have you join us for that as well. And let's celebrate one final time the fact that God's love never fails, although my iPad can sometimes. Okay, and there we go. All right.